Exodus 15, 11 says, Who is like you among the gods? O Lord, who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders. Then Isaiah 6, 3 says, One called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Is the Lord God Almighty 
stand with me um, as I read some scripture. I'll be in um, Psalm 96. Let you find that. Uh, the 96th Psalm. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. And let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Um, we thank you for all that you've created. Um, we thank you for this time to come together and worship your name and in song and in worship and in scripture that Ryan will read. Pray for Ryan and be with him. His word to be your words. Pray for congregation. Pray for our leaders. Pray for those who aren't here today. Um, I pray for those who suppress the truth. Pray for those who um, need your guidance. Um, we thank you for sending your son to the cross 
Please forgive us of our sins. Help us to be good stewards of all the things you've given us. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. (laughs) If our ushers would come forward, we'll take the morning offering. And at this time, the children can be dismissed to Children's Church. Marcia. Well, as uh, it has been said earlier, I am not Pastor Steve. Um, and Eric had mentioned earlier that this is Pastor Appreciation Month. And uh, I've got to say, as I'm trembling here before you, I have never been so appreciative of our pastor. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, I, I highly respect Pastor Steve for all that he does. Uh, more than just delivering messages on Sunday morning, but all that he does in self-sacrifice for for this church. We are, we are so deeply um, blessed to have him as our pastor. And uh, the the office of pastor and overseer is, is one um, that is, is noble. The, the Bible says that one who seeks that position seeks a noble cause, and they are worth of double honor. So we, we definitely... Um, respect and are thankful for Pastor Steve. If you would, stand with me. Uh, we're going to begin uh, with the reading of the Word. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 13, going through 19. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... 
set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, work in us through your holy word this morning. You are the Holy One. As you are infinitely powerful, infinitely good, infinitely wise, so are you infinitely holy. Help us to be your people. As you are holy, help us to be holy. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the release of Andrew Brunson, the, Turk, uh, the pastor that was imprisoned in Turkey. We pray that you would please be with your persecuted people around the world. Encourage them and sustain them. Help us all to be your ambassadors in this land as missionaries. Help us to have courage to proclaim your gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, Lord, we ask that you would help us reflect on what you have for us this morning. That you would encourage where we need encouragement that you would convict where we need to be convicted. Lord, lead us. Lead us, God, for your name's sake. And it is in your holy name, in the holy name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, holy mackerel, holy cow, holy smokes, holy guacamole. What does it mean to ascribe the word Holy. To something, Well, I assure you this, that it means far more than what this culture thinks or could possibly understand for that matter. People use this term frivolously, and usually we, we, we use it to express some kind of shock or excitement. I mean, haven't you heard before, holy cow, she's pregnant? Of course you have, amongst many other things as well, I'm sure. And I'm not exactly sure how this kind of talk entered into our language, but I guess we could say that... Jesus feeding the 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and fish was the first ever use of holy mackerel. That's awful, but uh, it gets better. We as believers, myself included, need to understand what we are saying and put a little more reverence in the word holy. So, what is holiness? Well, there are many excellent books on holiness, the ones that come to my mind are perhaps the quintessential sources on the topic, namely The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul and Holiness by J.C. Ryle. These books have certainly helped shape my understanding of Scripture and my understanding of the flawless nature of God. And I encourage anyone and everyone that desires to have a deeper understanding of God to seek out these books. Uh, I know for a fact that you can get J.C. Ryle's book, Holiness, for free online. 
personally, I like the audio version that you can get on Audible. Uh, I encourage you not only to read these books, though, but to investigate what God's authoritative word says on the topic of holiness. And that is exactly what we are going to do today. At a conference that Pastor Friels and a few other of us here from the congregation went to, uh, together for the gospel, uh, the, the, the conference theme was, was holiness, essentially. It was actually dis- to be distinct, uh, distinct from the world, I believe. And at that conference, many highly respected authors and pastors spoke on the topic of being distinct or set apart from the world. Uh, they, they spoke on holiness. And that is what holiness means, to be set apart, to be remarkable, to be something other in virtue, quality, and goodness. More than that, it is to be conformed unto the likeness of God. For God is holy. God is holy, holy, holy. He is the epitome of holiness. A.A. Hodge had this to say about it. The holiness of God is not to be conceived as one attribute among others. It is rather a general term representing the conception of God's consummate perfection and total glory. It is his infinite moral perfection crowning his infinite intelligence and power. Today we're going to dive into the word of God to get a glimpse of the holiness of God and God's command for us as his church to be holy in return. To get the context right, we must understand who Peter is writing to in this epistle. In verse 1, we see that he is writing to believers he calls the exiles of the dispersion. Now, Nero, the Roman ruler of the time, was thought to have an obsession with building and expanding his empire. It was said that Nero's obsession drove him mad and and drove him to the point where he even burned down the city of Rome just so that he could reestablish it and rebuild it. Now, obviously, this is not the probably most popular political move. So as he did this, he he needed somebody to take the blame. So naturally, he found a scapegoat in the Christians. During that time, the first century Christian church was gaining momentum and threatened the culture of idol worship held dear to the Romans. Nero blamed the Christians for burning Rome as a way to get attention off himself and to eliminate the threat of the changing culture. There also may have been a little extra motive in this to persecute the Christians for economic reasons, as the market for selling of sacrifices and idols would have been crippled by the Christian movement. Thus, the Christians throughout the Roman Empire were facing fierce persecution and may have had to flee or relocate. Beyond this, now more than ever, those who followed Christ had to demonstrate the true way of belief. They were not arsonists or murderers, violent, but ones who preached the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were in desperate need to be true representatives of the holy God as the rest of the world looked at them with discrimination. So here Peter writes to the exiles of the dispersion to act and behave in a way that is reflective of their salvation. Not to be conformed back to their former ways of living, but to be distinct, to be set apart, to be holy 
and respectable as true ambassadors as all the eyes of the world were now on them. Today, here in America and all around the world, it's not so different. With the ever-rising social justice justice movement that demands acceptance of whatever it is that they say or else it's a hate crime, the claims that Christians hate the LGBTQ community, and on and on every week something else in the news, it's, it's important for us as Christians not to compromise on our beliefs, but also for us to live them out. We are to demonstrate that God desires repentance and holy living, and that this is the true way of love. Let's turn back to the text. Let's look at verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Number one in your bulletin, be ready. Be ready. Some of your translations may say it this way, to gird up the loins of your mind. And that's, that's a little bit of a, go ahead and pull up that picture if you would. Um, yeah, here we go. So um, this is a little bit of a strange concept for us. Back in ancient times, they would wear these long flowing robes kind of like this. Um, so if the men had to spring to action for one reason or another, they would have to gird up their loins. Otherwise, they would have to run around like this, hoping not to fall over themselves. So they would bunch up this cloth and kind of tuck it and tie it around and tie it into a knot, making them a sense of a pair of shorts so that they could run around unencumbered. This is an example for us to, to be ready for action, to get it together, toughen up, be ready, be on guard. We are to be sober-minded. And this scripture, although definitely including, is not explicitly meaning alcohol, but as a way of living, not being polluted by the things of the world. We are to meditate on the word. We are to continue in prayer. We are to live without letting our guard down to sin. Why? What are we to be ready for? Well, so that we don't fall back into our former ways. Ready for what? What are we to be ready for? Well, we are to be ready for meeting the master, either by death or his return. That is to say, if we claim to have received God's grace, if we are justified, we are not to be stagnant. We for sure cannot revert back to how we used to be. Back to verse 14. Don't think, now that I'm saved, I don't have to worry about anything. I'll just keep on doing what feels good. I'll just... You know, compromise here a little bit, compromise there a little bit. You may not even acknowledge that, that you're, you're saying to yourself you're compromising. The heart gets deceitful. Don't think, I'll just you know, sleep with whoever I want. I'll go out and party with my friends, but I'll be there on Sunday morning. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Give no provision to sin. Matthew 24, 36 through 51 says this. Actually, I'm going to 
Skip ahead and read in verse 43. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour which you do not expect. Skipping ahead, verse 46 here. Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, this is Jesus talking, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants, he eats and drinks with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We have further examples in Matthew chapter 25 with the parables of the virgins and the lamps and the parable of the talents. Throughout Scripture, we have this warning to be ready. Okay, ready how? Let's look back at verse 13. By setting our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Have you thought about this? Not on what it'll look like or how it will be, how neat it will be to see God coming again. All those things are absolutely worthy of thought, uh, absolutely worthy of exciting, I don't know, notion and, and just things we sing about, right? But, but thinking about this, the fulfillment of God's promise, our glorification, being transformed from one form of glory to another, getting rid of this sinful flesh and being transformed into a new body. How wonderful. So we, we will actually be transformed into a way like he is. Now, I, I'm not saying that we will be on equal status with God. That is not at all what I mean. But what I am trying to imply is this, that we will be sinless like him at that time. Our battles with sin will be over in all the spoils of victory go to Christ. Set your mind on the grace to be revealed. You may say to me, that's easy for you to say. You don't have this or that going on in your life. You don't know my pain. You don't know how hard it is. Well, that's true. I don't. But verse 13 is your advice. You must take a look at the gospel. Chase it until you are comforted. If you are not comforted by the truth of the gospel, the problem is not with the gospel. Remind yourself again of how precious the good news of Jesus Christ is. Set your minds on the day that is coming when we will no longer battle with sin. Set your mind on the day which is promised when we can see and worship God Face to face. You can endure life's trials and sufferings because of the glory that awaits. Scripture says these present trials and sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that awaits. Now, I want to be clear. I don't intend to minimize your hurts or your obstacles. Not at all. It is imperative that as brothers and sisters, that we lean on each other for encouragement to keep on keeping on. 
to keep fighting the good fight of faith. We must point each other to the gospel. We must focus on the grace that is to be revealed as our motive. We must look to the author and perfecter of our faith. We must look to Jesus and remember that our time here is temporary. And our eternal home is ahead and it's in the presence of our Savior. As the song goes, build him, turn your eyes to Jesus. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. If you know someone that is going through a hard time, extend a kindness to them. Sometimes all it takes is a word to make all the difference. Secondly, be holy. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Later on, a few chapters later, Peter writes this in in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for what doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Here he's saying, the time that you had before your conversion, before you were saved, was more time than you should have had. All right, It is by grace that we are saved, and there is no reason for us to return back. Romans 8.13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to the death the deeds of the body, you will live. Again, Colossians 3.5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put to death those things. I love the quote from John Owen, the great reformer, had this to say. Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from its work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. I've got a great example of a friend who recently got married. Um, And... Him and his bride-to-be made a strong commitment to purity, not to compromise on those kinds of things prior to their marriage. And uh, they would do this by setting curfews for themselves and not, you know, being around each other during those compromising times. They would make sure that that wouldn't happen. In fact, that friend actually called me up on more than one occasion and said, man, I need to hang out with you because I cannot be around her right now. Um. And and thank God they made it to their wedding day. And I praise God for that. Well, this isn't possible by sheer will alone. You can't do it. The heart is too deceptive. It'll make provision for sin one way or the other. The only way we can do it is through the Holy Spirit. And this is an evidence of divine growth. We are able and sustained by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's go ahead, uh, move on here a little bit. Verses 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I 
am holy. This is a response to his holiness. We, identified as his people, are to be a holy representation, a reflection of the character of God. In Leviticus, um, we have an example of this back in Leviticus chapter 20. You know, we have it up here on the screen. If you would just pay attention as I read this to how many times God puts uh, something in the text about being separate or a, a different from other things. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. You shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving you out before. For they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean, and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. Verse 26 You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. So why are we to be holy? We are his people. We are his chosen people. We are to walk as he walked, a reflection of the one that lives inside of us. Beyond that, Matthew 5 verse 48 makes it A little more challenging, if you ask me. It says this, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I love Pastor Steve's analogy. Um, He he often uses with the sports team jersey. You know, know, whenever you have a a jersey on your back, or a jersey on, you have this name on your back. I have a, uh, as a Green Bay Packer fan, I have a Clay Matthews jersey. Um, I, I still think he's fantastic, even though the refs don't. Um, but you know, whenever I wear those jerseys, um, I identify as a Packer fan. I identify as someone who is committed to the team, who's someone who's passionate about it. And, you know, um, you know, as a Cardinals fan or, or any kind of fan, whatever, you know, you usually say, well, we won today or we lost today or we did it, you know, all those kinds of things, even though it wasn't us out on the field doing anything at all. Well, how much more? now that we are clothed in Christ, are to act and behave as a reflection of his character. That we wouldn't want to bring disdain upon his name. I've heard before people say, those Brewer fans are awful. (laughs) How terrible would it be if people said, those Christians are terrible. We must walk in a way worthy of him. Now, to do this, we have to be very careful not to fall into legalism. There's a difference between legalism and true holiness. And what I mean is kind of this, the difference between Pharisees and disciples. The Pharisees had a checklist of things. Well, I didn't do that. That means I'm good. I didn't do this. I did do this. And it becomes a rote, just behavioral Thing with no compassion, no love, no drive. Jesus said this 
John 14, 15. Excuse me, John 4, chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The key to holy living is love for the Holy One. How I love your law. How I love your statutes. Yes, absolutely. And more than that, how I love the one who gives the law. Jesus said, if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees and scribes, you will no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, we must take action. We must train. We must be ready, as we previously discussed. Athletes train. Absolutely. Can you imagine that uh, an Olympic athlete would just never train, don a uniform, show up for the Olympics, and expect to win the gold medal? No way. They spend years dedicating, sacrificing everything to that one moment, even if their race or whatever it is only lasts for a few seconds. They give so much into that. Can you imagine a, a soldier being given a, a uniform and issued a weapon and just being sent to the front line? Good luck. No way. No way. There's rigorous training, diligent training. In 1982, there was a movie about a man who worked very, very hard, uh, trained very hard, reached the pinnacle of his profession, and sadly became arrogant. About that time, another man came up and challenged him, and the first man had a great fall. The name of this movie was Rocky Three. <laughs> As Clubber Lang was challenging Rocky Balboa, Rocky had thought, I've already reached, I've already got this, I'm not worried, I got this guy. And he was humbled. And later on in the movie, we have this classic 80s movie montage where they're training and punching the air and doing all kinds of stuff. They're, they have that moment where they're running on the beach and they finally embrace each other or whatever, Apollo Creed and Rocky. Why do I say this? Why do I bring this up? How is this relevant? First Timothy 4 verse 8 says this, For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So yes, we should dedicate ourselves to, to private worship, to public worship, to reading of the scripture, to prayer, all those things, singing, absolutely. We should also exercise our spiritual gifts within the church to edify one another. You may say, well, that's interesting, Ryan. Where did you get that? I'm glad you asked. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13 says this, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Did you catch that? We are to love one another to become blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. 
So we are to love one another to become blameless. I'm not saying that everyone should preach, not everyone should lead music or whatever, but you know what some other spiritual gifts are? Hospitality, generosity, mercy, whatever it is that God has blessed you with being able to do, do it. Use it, apply it as a blessing for others and to keep yourself engaged, practiced, sharpened, and ready. We are not merely to go to church. We are to be the church. Carol Arnold um, has been very faithful doing Bible drill all these many years. Um, and so appreciative of her. I believe we start Bible drill again, 5 o'clock tonight. How has she been able to do it? How does Tim and Michelle Brown and all the volunteers that devote so much time to Awana be able to do what they do? I'll tell you this. It's not just their love for the kids, although they do. They love those kids. Of course they do. But they are primarily motivated by their love for Jesus. Placing their trust anywhere else is going to be misplaced affections and misguided motivation that will ultimately end in discouragement. The hope is not that the children are our future. It is Jesus who guides his church. It is not filling these kids up with lessons of morality and hoping for the best. It's knowing that God's word does not return void. It's about bringing glory to Jesus and using those spiritual gifts to edify one another. Brothers and sisters, be motivated by your love of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Show him your affections. Be active. Be the church. The New Testament is full of other examples here on why we should continue in this way. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained or that I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, do not conform back to the old ways. And straining forward to what lies ahead, put your mind on the grace. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in God in Christ Jesus. It is clear that we must keep on applying our holiness and growing in holiness. In a sense, we are to be in shape spiritually. There, as J.C. Ryle said, there is not a day in which we are not to be holy. Now, this said, there is something that I need to be perfectly clear on. We are not saved by our obedience. We are not trying to be holy in order to be saved. We can't. We can't be holy on our own. That's the point of the gospel. 
It took the perfect obedience and sacrifice of Christ on the cross and the imputation of his righteousness to make us right with God. You aren't going to do it by trying to be a better person. We are not to be holy for salvation. We are to be holy because of salvation. We are to be holy because he is holy and we are his. Bought for a price, as 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 says. Verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Live in reverence as well to the Father. We may be his adopted children, but he is still our righteous judge that will judge each of us on our accounts and our merits, even as Christians. Live in honor of him. When we enter into communion, Lord's Supper, we're to do it with reverence. Whenever we pray, do it with reverence. Whenever we sing, do it with reverence. We must do it with the correct frame of mind. Now, you can address him as Abba, which is an enduring term for father, similar to how we say daddy. He is a loving father. Absolutely. He is a father that desires his children. But let's not forget, he is a father that chastens those whom he loves, as Hebrews twelve six says. We are to approach him with reverence. If not... If we're not careful, we begin to be like those spoiled kids from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. You remember this? Daddy, I want this. Daddy, I want that. I want an Oompa Loompa now. You remember that? Ridiculous. Remember how that one girl turned into that giant blueberry because she was just so adamant. Daddy, I want this. Daddy, I want that. I don't think anybody was disappointed whenever they... The Oompa Loompas rolled that big blue behemoth away. The uh, girl got what she deserved. For some of us, we need to regain proper perspective. That God is holy. Or perhaps he may be using this message as a means of grace to help you get that perspective right for the first time. We are to fear the Lord and give him the honor and respect he deserves. We pray, we worship, we obey, we sing, not in a flippant manner, but in reverence. Why? I'm sounding like a broken record at this point, but he is holy. I've got to say, uh, we, we take great consideration here on the songs that we sing. When Pastor Steve and, and Tim meet, they choose these songs. Um, essentially, they know that the songs that we sing are going to end up as words in your mouth. Prayers that you sing to God. We don't just want to pick popular or catchy tunes. We want to have rich, scriptural-based, uncompromised biblical truths that both glorify God as much as we can and edify one another. We want to have songs that will stick with you and help you grow spiritually. But most of all, we desire to sing songs that are reverent and reflect the true nature of our holy God. Lastly, be assured. I'll, I'll make this quick. Be assured. Let's look at uh, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, 
but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We were ransomed, bought, and not with things like precious metals, silver and gold, things that people long to have, but with the precious blood of Christ. There's nothing else like it in the universe. The shed blood of Jesus Christ is the most costly thing of anything that has ever been or ever will be. And he said it, he shed it to purchase your freedom from sin. Your redemption to adoption as God's sons and daughters to be conformed into his likeness. Think about this. What did it cost God to create the world? To create everything. Do you remember back in Genesis 1? How did he do it? He spoke. He spoke all things into existence. Now, as we reflect on how big, how massive everything is in creation, we can't fathom how big creation is. What did it cost for your redemption? It costs the blood of God's only begotten son. The blood of the spotless lamb of God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It costs him everything. The cost of redemption is of infinite worth. This is our driving force right here. When we revere the cost of the cross, we obtain the motivation. We understand the depths of the Father's love. We overflow with thankfulness and gratitude. And we cry out to God, thank you. You are worthy. I'll do what you say and I'll do it with gladness. I'll praise you with cheerfulness. You are good and you love me with an incomprehensible love. You are holy. Make me holy as well. If the price that was paid was of infinite worth, you better believe that God is not backing out of that deal. He didn't go into it lightly. He planned it from the very beginning of time. There's no way he's going to back out of it. How could he? To do so, he would have to unsacrifice Christ. Unthinkable. He did it. He did it, paid it in full and final. Now, after reflecting on the cost, how precious is the cross of Christ? What an honor it is to be called his child. How motivating it is to walk in holiness. How delightful it is to live a life of holiness and reflection of this gospel truth. We have more motivation to worship the creator than any other created thing because of this cost, because of the high cost of our great redemption. This is why I say we, as his ransomed, saved, adopted children, his church, have the paramount reason for worshiping the Creator. Bow with me in prayer.
Father, we approach you in reverence this morning because you are holy. We thank you for this gracious reminder from your word to do so. Lord, we pray that you would use your word to work in your people, that we would have a new resolve to behave as your set-apart, distinct holy people, and to do so with gladness, with overflowing thankfulness because of your great love. You sent your Son, perfect in all ways, to be our substitute. Die in our place, Paid the penalty of sin completely. We are so unworthy of this, yet you extend your grace to us nonetheless. May we praise you with pure, wholehearted praise because of the great cost of our redemption. For you are worthy and infinitely holy. Amen. If you would, Sam, as we sing this last song in closing. If you need someone to talk to, feel free to come up and and talk to me as we sing this song. We hope you're motivated by God's great holiness. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him 
him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus' body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.